I can sing things that people would never receive if I preach them. <laughs> so like, and music moves the soul. You were made, you were made to be moved by music. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the show. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. Here, as always, we hear the testimonies of people who had an encounter with Jesus that transformed their lives. My guest today hails from California and has been in full-time ministry for over 20 years now. He's a Christian worship singer and songwriter with a lengthy catalog of music, including albums Marked by Heaven, Freedom Calling, and Beautiful Rider. He also has a branding and design company, a marriage and family ministry called One Flesh, and a ministry for men called The Fight. And he has also appeared in the Darren Wilson documentary, Holy Ghost, back in 2014. Please welcome Jake Hamilton. I'm here. Hey, man. (laughs) How you doing? Good. How are you, Todd? Good to be with you. Yeah, good. Thanks for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. You got a clearly a very busy schedule, lots of initiatives going on there. So I appreciate you carving out a little time for us today. It's all good. We ton make space for this stuff. That's the way we do it. That's beautiful. Uh, Jake, um, just man, let's just dive right into it, man. I'm really curious to uh, to hear your testimony. I know 20 years is a long time to be in ministry, but there's obviously a beginning. And uh, just reading in your bio, there was an encounter that transformed your life 25 years ago. So can you tell us a little bit about how you grew up and actually how to pronounce the name of the town in California that you grew up? Cause I didn't want to Come say on. it cause I didn't think Rancho I was. Rancho Cucamonga. Yeah, <laughs> okay. that's a good one. Cool. It's, uh, it was used in like Looney Tunes cartoons and stuff as a joke as well. So it's, it's uh, <laughs> it's definitely a funny name and it really does exist. It is in Southern California. Uh, we lived there for uh, basically 38 years. That's where I grew up in the middle of lemon groves and, uh avocado groves and the whole deal down there in southern california before it was completely developed and um grew up there with a mom and dad who stayed together still married today um they came to christ when i was in fifth grade fourth grade fifth grade went to junior high uh ministry just like a lot of kids you know end up wherever your parents are going at a baptist church um and high school walked away i still remember where i walked away i said lord if it's you or those cool kids like i choose them and then the very next day i was friends with them it was like really really strange um and i remember it like the way that it all played out And what really ended up changing me was when I graduated high school, I had interviewed with Disney. I had like my own business. I started when I was 15 out of my parents' garage doing like large scale murals and design work and some branding for companies before it was real digital. So a lot of hand drawn stuff, things of that nature. And when I graduated high school, I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I know it has to do with art, but I need a change of scenery. I got to get out of here. And like a buddy of mine came up to me and he said, Hey man, I'm going and working at a camp in Malibu Canyon in Calabasas, like for inner city kids It was salvation army. You want to come with me? They pay room and board. Um, you work with kids and they pay you $1,500 a month. And I was like, done. I mean, this is two (laughs) weeks after I graduated. I was like, and I was a surfer. So Malibu was like, yeah, sign me up for Malibu Canyon. I'm, I'm in. And I said, done. I'm in, sent in the contract, sent it. They said, we could totally use you working with basically, I think it was, I was working with, um, eight and nine year olds, eight, and nine year old kids from the inner city, like from Compton, Long Beach, like Inglewood, the whole deal, like out of like some hard spots in LA. And, um, before I left, I had a friend, I bought a $50 guitar from him, gave him 50 bucks for the guitar and went, never played in my life. So I bought a $50 guitar at 18 years old, went and worked at this camp. I was learning D and G at the time. And I <laughs> literally two weeks into camp, uh, they, the worship leader left in the middle of the night with a note that said, this place sucks. And, um, and left <laughs> And they're like, okay, well, who else here plays guitar? Who else leads worship? And everyone's looking around like, you know, well, not me. I mean, and somebody goes, Jake has a guitar and he's loud. So why don't we have him do it? But I did, I'd only owned a guitar for two weeks. So two weeks into owning a guitar, I became a worship leader for 300 kids from the inner city, ranging in ages from six to 14 years old. And so I didn't know how to play other people's songs yet. I had to make up songs on the spot that would lead 300 kids. And that 
that reality is what changed everything for me because I'm like, I have to be present in the moment. I have to lean not on my talent, but what God is saying. And I have to lead these kids somewhere that's safe because everything they know in their lives is not safe. So how do I give them all of that with two chords? And I was always reminded, I don't remember if it was Johnny Cash or if it was Bob Dylan who said it, but give me four chords in the truth and I'll change the world. It also, um, there's another folk singer it might've been attributed to. Anyway, I love the, I love the, the reality of that, that sentiment, that truth. Cause I've experienced it. Give me four chords in the truth and I'll change the world. I don't need to sing karaoke Christian songs in order to have an impact. I can actually be fully present in the moment I'm in and watch it transform lives. So that was really the beginning of my musical like outlet before then it was all drawing. It was painting. It was all that stuff. And then it transitioned into music at 18 years old when I'm now having to lead for this space. Wow. That's an, that's amazing story. And so at, at this point you're, you're totally sold out for the Lord, bro. I mean, really I'm in transition. I could definitely say that I can definitely say, um, that I was in a place where I was trying to figure it out. Like, what is this? You know what I mean? Like, I know I'm feeling something. I know I love Jesus in concept, Yeah. but what does that mean for my everyday life? And I, I don't think enough people really take the time to explore that transition space. They're like, I prayed a prayer. I'm saved. That's it. It's done. Move on. I go to church. I give my tithe. I listen to the sermon. I sing the songs, but I, and I was given a grace of sitting in that space for a good couple of years. I would say probably the next from 18 to 20, like fully like 18, 19, 20 years old, I was allowed to sit in this space of exploration of going, is this God? Is this just my emotion? Is this psychological? Like, what is this thing I'm experiencing? Cause with 300 kids who have been abused and, you know, been abandoned and rejected and massively wounded. I mean, I could tell story after story. You can't just give them Bible verses. That yeah. doesn't work. You don't, you either going to, you're either going to live it out and you're going to be Jesus to them in that space or it doesn't work. It's a, it's a nothing. It's, yeah. it, it's an either or. Cause if I'm just going to give them platitudes and theology and Bible stories, like it, it doesn't hit their reality as deep. What they need to experience is an eternal love that actually meets them in the room where they're at today. And that will be the power that transforms them. Well, to be that is way different than to speak that. And that's what I was processing. And it took me a good few years of just wrestling. Like, what does this look like? What does this mean? Who is God? What, you know, like really for, for most people, they're like, I got saved here. And I'm like, I got saved over the course of a good five or six years, <laughs> you know, and I continually feel like I'm being saved on a regular basis, you know, but I don't have a moment like that. It was just this, these moments that mesh into one season of me going, I, when I sold out it, like, there's no going back for me. I spent years in process going, this is what I'm giving to my, my life to. And I cannot go back based on what I've seen and experienced. Yeah. And man, that's really cool. And that's really good that, that you had that experience. Cause for me, it was a moment for some right. people it is, but not for everybody. Right. And God right. works in different ways as he's calling us. Um, and yeah. like you say too, you know, you, you, you're sort of living what your parents brought you into, but now you're, right. you're experiencing this and living these out in front of kids that maybe weren't brought up in that. So they need to see that genuine right. stuff, right? That's it. That's really cool. That's a really cool story, man. Um, so then Jake, let's uh, sort of play a little thing here, but I just, so you got a guitar for 50 bucks. You can hear this, eh? <laughs> I can't hear it right now. How about now? Mm-mm. Okay. Well, anyways, it saved me from beautiful rider that I'm just oh, spinning in the on. background, man. And it's like in your bio relevant magazine describes the music that you do across between Zeppelin and Foo Fighters, which is probably why I love it, bro. But <laughs> dude, your music is so 
vast, right, folks? For for you listening, there's there's music with piano and keys. There's uh, acoustic jams. This one, I don't know, man. To, to me, it kind of has like a southern rock vibe, and um, but just love it, man. So, can you talk about? So you went from eighteen fifty dollar guitar G and D. How did you get into doing this, man? Uh, writing these records and everything. Um, well, the crazy part is I, I was given space. So like I show back up to church, man, they're like, dude, we, you want to lead worship at this small or lead worship with the youth and lead worship with the, um, with the college group. And so I was like, yeah, I'll just take anything. I live around the dude. I lived around the corner from the church. It's walking distance from my parents' house where I was living at the time. So I was like, done. You know what I mean? I'm having this encounter. I'm experiencing God for the first time in a lot of ways. So I'm like, absolutely. I am in. So I didn't know how to play other people's songs. So I still to this day, I don't ever learn how to play someone's songs. I just learn what the song sounds like. And then I play out however the heck I want, <laughs> which is like, I'm just giving my interpretation. So whenever I start a song that other people know, they're like, Oh, I know this. And then I take it like four other directions. And they're like, I don't know this. <laughs> I'll keep the melody, but change pretty much everything about it. In fact, I wish I could, I, I don't, I know I have it somewhere on my hard drive, but I could take you back and my foundational worship leading. I was taking songs like, um, rage against the machines, uh, gorilla radio yeah. and putting the lyrics to delirious songs over that. Wow. So I was putting like these big, huge tunes and putting like a layer over it that like nobody had ever heard before. So, and I was given permission for that. Like they love the, the crew that we were a part of was a church of, it was a church of like 3000 Baptist church. We had a youth, a, a college ministry of 60 people. We did music like that on like a regular basis to the point where it grew from 60 to like five or 600 people over the course of a handful of months because of the style we were doing. We were like embracing this, like, Hey, there are no boundaries. Like do this is how we're wired. We're doing it Yeah. like no rules. We don't have to follow any mold. And we ended up planning a church when I was 20 years old of five or 600 people. It was ridiculous out of a Baptist church. And so we, and they blessed it. They were, it was not a church split. They were like, we see God on this, go do it. So for me at the very beginning, I was given peers and friends who were like, go nuts. There are no rules to this thing. You get to do it and make it however you want. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm in like that. I can do. I'm like, I'm a nineties kid grew up on rock music. Like I'm making everything sound like Foo Fighters and Nirvana and eventually Jack White, where the Southern roots stuff comes in. I got really influenced by blues music. Like, old old blues music that's why like even the you can find jake hamilton uh in the sound we did a an album oh i did release it as jake hamilton the deluxe version is uh saved album it's all old blues like uh freedom songs that like just massively impacted my life and i was like i'm gonna shout freedom over a generation that is what i'm gonna do i'm gonna find those southern rock like huge sounds that allow that that to make sense in church space, but I'm going to do it as loud as I want. Yeah. And all I can tell you, man, I appreciate that for someone that came to faith later in life and grew up with everything from black crows to Metallica slayer well, disturbed, all that if you stuff. Listen you know? to saved. If you listen to saved the guitar player on the saved album is the, is Mark Ford, the guitar player from the black crows. Is that right? Yeah. That's like awesome. we spent four years traveling with, with Mark, who was like, I love what you're doing. He radically got saved. And he was like, I don't know where to go. And I was like, you can hang with us. <laughs> I was like, come hang with us. I'll take you on the road. And we were all just like this sort of hot mess traveling all over the place, declaring the radical love of God through this sound that like, dude, nobody plays guitar like Mark Ford. There's nobody like that anymore. So I learned a ton about being a band. I learned a ton about music and a mus being a musician. We'd just roll in the car, listening to old Mavis Staples tunes for 
hours and discussing them. And what does that look like? You know, and all those things like we had space to explore, which most musicians in the church aren't. It's like, here's the chords. Here's how the song's played. Here's the arrangement. Play it right. And I'm like, no, blow the thing up, start from scratch, see where you end up. Yes. Play it loud. (laughs) And just turn the whole thing up to 12. (laughs) Oh yeah. Come on. Um, so Mark, that would have been, uh, like in the remedy, you know, the black crows, that song remedy is what a great song. Wow. That's really wild. Yeah. And it's funny. I could hear not knowing that, but I can hear that. in in some of those tracks, man, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Can you talk a little bit about, it looks like on your catalog there too, there's like these EPs two zero seven one one five one seven. What, what is that man? Tell, tell us about that. Those are each years of the great what i consider the greatest reformations in human history so 1917 you have the uh uh is the um because the first one was what 2071 20 uh 2017 is it 2017 let me go back to yeah there's well, I'm like there's a 1517 there's a 19 yeah, uh, fifteen seventeen is the is Martin Luther's Reformation when he knocked when he uh, when he hammered the ninety five theses on the doors of Wittenberg. Nineteen seventeen is the year where we have um, the Azusa Street revival breaks out, and then the last one is the year that is the year that the albums were released and saying that something new is coming. And so like, I'm all, I'm just a huge believer in reformation history and the reality that the history of the church paints the future of where it's going. And I, for me, I wanted people to know that what we're doing is not rebellion. It actually is reformation. So those EPs that were on there were like outlined, Hey, we had a huge reformation where the word of God was given back to the people of God. Then we had a huge reformation where the presence of God came back to the people of God, the Holy spirit, like gifts, signs, wonders, miracles. And then what I believe is if we had a reformation that represented the word who is Jesus, and we had a reformation that represents power, which is the Holy spirit. Then we are in the middle of a reformation of love that represents itself in family and the father's heart. So we're going to see the fullness of all of those things coming together under the context of family. So a lot of the lyrics and a lot of the story in each one of those EPs has to do with what was experienced in those reformations. So if you go to the one that's the, the, uh, 1917, where the, uh, where it's, uh, talking about the Azusa street revival, you're going to get those big power. Like we're going after this thing, the whole deal all the way back to the other one, which is like word focused and all the way to the most recent one, which is, Hey, we're going to do this together. Awesome. That's re- That's really decent hearing that. Yeah, and we, we did it. Like when we released everything, we kind of put all these stories to it. So like the whole, marketing push and the social media stuff was all based around those stories. And we just left it super mysterious because we didn't want people, we didn't want to be blatant, like, and this is about Martin Luther. And this is about, (laughs) you know, uh, William Seymour. And this is about, it was like, dude, figure it out if you want, if you don't, who cares? You know, it was like, we just want to give you enough information to leave you in tension as you're exploring what these things might be about. Yeah. Too many times we're answering questions that, especially the church, we're asked, we're answering questions that people aren't even asking. So I like to leave a lot of stuff in that tension space so that way people can figure it out for themselves. I don't think people are as dumb as the church wants to make them out to be half the time. <laughs> I think people get it, you know? Yeah. And so I don't have to answer the question for them. Well, and people need to explore, right? People need to explore right. and be drawn by how God's moving through you and others, right? In your. Yeah and what you're doing. Yeah. So all kinds, all kinds of initiatives going on. So another thing you're doing with your, with your wife is, uh, is one flesh. Can you tell us about that, that initiative? Yeah. So the cool part is connected to the story is in, in, um, when I was 18 and I first started interning at, with the youth group, uh, that, you know, the good youth pastor at the time was like, you know, go and write a mission statement for your life. And I'm like, Okay. And so I went in this Baptist church and I heard the audible voice of the Lord, like, like somebody standing over me, which has only happened twice in the entirety of my journey. I heard it like someone was standing behind me and they, and I heard the voice say, you will write the songs. The whole world will sing. And I was like, first of all, 
like, you know, what was that? Cause I grew up, it was a Baptist church. They didn't have like that. We weren't teaching, you know, how to hear the voice of the Lord and God still speaks today. And none of that was at all like in context. I just knew I heard it. I knew I heard it. And then fast forward to 2010 and I'm playing in my, the first arena that I had ever played in with 17,000 people, you know, and with Mark Ford and the whole deal, like we're just going after it. And in the middle of this, my brain goes, this is what the Lord told you at 18 years old. Wow. Because they're singing, dude, they're singing songs. I wrote in a closet that nobody cared about. These kids are screaming 17,000 people, which is not a lot in the scale of like superstardom and stuff. But for a kid who grew up in Rancho Cucamonga, who was like, <laughs> I know that I have like something to offer the world to hear them screaming back. I am royalty. I have destiny. I've been set free. I'm going to shake history, like shape history. Like there's something about hearing that where I knew this is what God told me when I was 18. Well, my wife and I were in a fight that day. Like she just showed up the next morning. We're hanging out with a spiritual father named Chris Valentin from Bethel church in Reading. We're sitting with him and my wife didn't have a dad. So the moment a dad sits in front of us and goes, Hey, Nikki, how are you doing? She breaks down crying short version. We spend four hours with Chris in his hotel room. And she's basically like, this isn't a marriage. You're a workaholic. Like there was no addiction. There was no pornography. There was no anything. There was none of that. I was a workaholic. I abandoned my wife for the, for ministry. Mm. And because my workaholic nature was in church, it never got corrected. It just got applauded because we love workaholics in the church. If it's for Jesus, dude, you can abandon your family all day in the name of, in the name of the Lord. And we're watching it play out right now. We're watching that mentality play out. Thank God for Chris Valentin in our journey was like, Hey man, you're a crappy husband. (laughs) He's like, you suck as a husband. You're awful. You're distracted and you are preoccupied with your own ego and you need to figure it out. Wow. That's, that's really like, right. And then the crazy part was, is, I mean, again, lots of work in there. God did so much over the next two weeks in my own heart. Like I just got demolished. My ego got freaking blasted. And in connection with me playing this arena, God gives us a promise. And then he says, will you kill it for something better? Mm. That's, it was my, it was my Abraham and Isaac moment. He's like, yeah, you heard me, but now go up and put it on the altar and see if I provide. And I was like, I don't know what to do because I feel like number one, my finances are now connected to this thing that the Lord is now asking me to give up so that I can focus on my marriage and my family. So it's not just my ego. It's my ego, my finances, my self of my sense of identity and purpose. And the Lord's like, no, when you got married and you had kids, your entire purpose and reality is wrapped up in that family. Yeah. If you don't do that well, I don't care what else you do. I don't care if you play in front of hundreds of thousands of people it is irrelevant if you're not going to take care of your bride the way I take care of my bride. And if you're not going to take care of your kids the way that I'm taking care of my kids, which means I sacrifice and die for the sake of loving them well, regardless of what the rest of the world thinks. And that is what happened. I was like, then I'm done. I'm, I, I'm, and uh, Chris was so kind because he was like, now real men don't give up their family or their calling. A real man learns how to live in the tension of both, knowing that that will look different in four months and in two years and in five years and in six years. There is no, you can't just go, this is how it's going to be. You have to actually show up to every moment and be present in it to know what you're supposed to bring. And the crazy part is like, as God worked it out, we ended up going to like playing a handful of places. And I took the family and we'd go do a few things. And then my wife and I, we're super open. We would just be like, yeah, man, our marriage was trash. It was awful in the name of ministry and blah, blah, blah. Just basic. And everyone was like, oh, okay. That's really cool, man. Oh, okay. All right, cool. Can we talk to you afterwards in the green room? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it was like everywhere we went, it was the same story. 
and no one was saying anything. Yeah. That was what was so disturbing. So one flesh was birthed out of, if we tell the story, it will allow people to know they're not alone while they're exploring it. And then maybe hopefully they'll begin to look at their own story and find out what they need to get healed in where they need help and can start to explore that so that they can fix what's broken in their own house. Cause most people would rather buy a plane ticket 3000 miles across the world than walk 30 feet across their living room. That's the reality. They think it's more holy to buy a plane ticket and go into the mission field 3000 miles away, spending thousands of dollars instead of spending no money walking across their living room and actually dealing with the stuff and the hurt that's in their own house. And, And what God, the gift that God's given them, right? Right. Because that I'm being given my wife because she holds keys to my restoration that I don't have alone. Now. Yeah. Like I tell people all the time, you're going to, if you marry, if your spouse triggers you all the time, you married the right person. Because God wants you to marry all of your triggers so that you can't stay hidden. You have to get healed. Yeah. And so that is the reality that we watched play out doing the one flesh stuff. That's really, that's really, really good. And a lot of times as Christians or in the Christian community, people are trying to save face, be smile. I'm with Jesus. Everything's supposed to be good. And it's not. And, uh, praise God for somebody like Chris. Um, even in my life, I didn't, I was never obviously as busy as you are with, with the stuff that you're doing, but, uh, a very dear pastor friend of mine was really quick as I would tell him about all the stuff that's going on and excited for Jesus would say, Hey man, your first ministry is your wife and kids. So praise the Lord for people like that. Right. And that's, that is literally what we need right now. We need men that are going to go around and have that conversation with other men to begin to explore what that looks like in their life. Cause there's not a one size fits all. And the hard part is, it's like, well, I read a book about marriage. So now I'm good. It's like, mm, no, you're actually not. You read a book about marriage. So you just have another place to feel shame and guilt. <laughs> and so really it's like, how do I do that work in my home so that I can actually see redemption in my own story? I want to see it redeemed. I don't want to just repeat the cycle that my parents went through or that I experienced growing up or whatever it is for each man. Like I want to see however I've even hurt my wife and the ways that like I was uniquely designed to hurt my spouse. That's congratulations. All of us. I was uniquely designed to hurt her in a way that was specific to the wounds she had experienced in her life. She had no dad. She was abandoned and felt rejected. So guess what she did? She married a pastoral guy (laughs) (laughs) who represents the father to then go on the road and leave her home alone. Mm. Dude, if I don't sort through that and honor that and honor her deep hurt, I can't see redemption brought. Yeah. I, I have to say no to a ton of things for me to be able to focus on the healing my wife needs to bring or that I need to bring to my home and to my spouse. And she's doing the same thing for me in ways that like literally are opposite of the way she's wired. You know me, I'm like, dude, let's take it on. We're going big. We're going to doing this. I have to temper that in my house and in my life to love my spouse well and give something to my kids that no one else can offer them. And then she's on the other side doing the exact same thing for herself to love me in a way that'll heal some of my deepest wounds. Yeah. Wow, man. I feel like I'm being ministered to right now <laughs> in my marriage, bro. That's so good. Um, yeah, come on. How about, uh, okay. So how about the fight then that ministry for men that you're doing? What can talk, talk about that. And that almost seems like it would kind of almost lead up to, um, the one flash. eh? Well, you're, you're really, what we're doing is we're charting the course of, of making what God gave me smaller and smaller and smaller. And so if we want to change the world, there's two things that do it better than anything else. Music, Three things, music, marriage, and manhood. And so when we do music transforms cultures, it's been that way since the beginning of time, music and sound carry. I'm allowed to sing things that if I, I can sing things that people would never receive if I preach them. (laughs) So like, and music moves the soul. You were made, you were made to be moved by music. Now marriage, if we do marriage, I tell people all the time, let me make this very, very clear. If you want to end abortion end AIDS and STDs, empty every orphanage and every foster care system on the planet, it just takes three steps. We don't need the government. It's very, very simple. You don't have sex till you're married. 
stay married to one person, teach your kids to do the same. We just ended everything. There's no more abortion because there's no unwanted kids. There's no AIDS or STDs because people aren't having sex outside of marriage. So it's eradicated in one generation. And we entered the foster care system in every orphanage because there's no unwanted kids. Like we love the concept of these things, but we'd rather change them politically than personally because the cost for me to do it, that let's just say, forget like right now, we're not even talking religion, right? Yeah. Let's just talk in the natural. If human beings decided to temper themselves in this way, we end all the things we're trying to end politically. The government is spending thousands and thousands, millions and millions on foster care and uh, foster care and orphan care. Not to mention the jails and the fatherlessness that leads to repeat offenders. This can all be solved in marriage. But now boil it down one more step. If we're going to save marriage, we have to get men. Because if I can get one man, I save one marriage. I change one family, which means we've saved one generation at a time. One man, one marriage, one family, one generation at a time. Okay. Can't do that in huge conferences. We just need one man. And if, and it's not this, again, I'm not defaulting to Bible or my Christian narrative. I Newsweek did an article a handful of years ago. I have to go pull it out because people are asking for it. But Newsweek did an article on marriage and divorce. And they ended it by saying that most marriages, 85 to 90% of marriages that are in trauma will eventually course correct if the man simply decides not to leave. Interesting. Yeah. So the point is, what's the definition of a man? The definition of a man is someone who's unmovable and unshakable in any circumstance, in any situation. That's a man. Not whether or not you like to camp, whether you like rock music or soft music, whether or not you have, those are all personalities. Those are personalities and preferences. A real man is in touch enough with his emotional state that he's not moved by the circumstances around him. He can have the emotion, not be led by it. So he doesn't have to bury it. He engages with it and uses it as strength to hold a position that other people can cling to in their family, their community, and in their nation. That is the way this works. And if we can get men, that is what unlocks the marriage. If we can get men, that's what unlocks deep safety to try things creatively in Christian culture that we don't have right now. Because we don't have dads. What we have is dictators. So we're like, we need dads in the midst of Christian culture so that we can begin exploring creativity and conversations that you can never do if a dictator's in charge. Because a dictator's job is to control the environment to such a degree that I determine what freedom looks like. And if you determine freedom differently than I've already predetermined it, you're out of the community. You lose connection. Yeah. Because so, we want people to behave way before they belong. <laughs> And so that's not the way God does it. God does you belong. Then you begin to believe. Then you will start to behave. Well, that's a lot further of a road than just pray this prayer. And now you're saved. No, no, no. I belong. So I begin to believe. Then I change my behavior and only dads can produce that kind of environment. You can't do it in teaching environments. It has to be a father's heart that leads you to that kind of safety. And if you have that in your home as a husband and as a father, it's over, man. And But it's not as sexy. Three kids, two kids, five kids, that ain't as sexy as 50,000 in a stadium. People see videos of me doing something at a stadium. And they go, look at what God did. I'm like, no, come to my living room. That's what God did. That was an event in a moment. That's beautiful. It has its redemptive purpose, but it is, it means nothing in the scheme of things. Zero. Well, and you know what you, you, you sort of illustrated that by saying that you, you played wherever it was that you said 17,000 people went home. Your wife's crying. Right. Right. Because at the end of the day, we keep making this about other things that make us. Well, here's here's the way I look at it. I, this is the language I use is that the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. We know that there's things in our life that have hurt us and that require grief for, or, for in order for us to get through them or see redemption happen. So the first step for a man in this process is to learn to grieve his actual story, to mourn it to weep over it, to be sad about it. Cause anger is a secondary emotion. So if I'm pissed off all the time, I'm probably just really scared or I'm sad. 
are that's really what it is. I'm not really angry. I'm scared or I'm sad. And if I can't touch scared and sad, cause those aren't safe places, I'll hit anger every single time. And for men to then begin to grieve the story they've had or the experiences they missed because of who was around them, when they can grieve that at a deep soul level, they can be comforted. But if I don't do grief work, then I don't get comforted. Guess what I'll settle for comfort. Yeah. So I'll settle for comfort in any way I could find it. If that's playing a stadium or like doing ministry or working too many hours or porn or addiction or any of the abuse, any of the other things we could list, it's me using escapism mentality to get comfort. I need to be okay. Instead of going, this hurts and it makes me sad. And I'm afraid of what's going to happen next. Yeah. I'm, and, and letting men hit their hearts, then the Holy spirit can come bring comfort. That's what Jesus said. He comes to bring yeah. not just gifts, but conviction and comfort. He comes and comforts us. And in that comfort, we find strength and stability to hold our ground. Yeah. And that that's what I'm looking to raise up. I mean, we have a ton of tools for that, but that at the end of the day, that's what my heart burns for. And it's amazing how it's worked itself from like stadiums to marriages down to I'll take one man. If I can get one man's heart, one man's heart fully transformed. If I can see it, I don't care about my, much else because he'll go home and be a better husband and a better father. And we win yeah. every time. Amen. That's great. Um, and so now the fight, you have fight night. So you actually go and do some, some things, but, but also you yeah. do it online, right? Yeah, we have. So the way that our sort of structure is, is we have a big meeting in January. That's our fight summit. So men from all over the place can come and they get sort of the, we, we talk about it as exposure. Like we just want them exposed to it. Here's some of the tools. Here's why we're doing it. Here's why it matters. And this is fight. This is what it is. And so they come and experience. We have some fun together. We do all sorts of stuff. And then um, we also train up our leaders there to be able to lead fight clubs in their own house and then their own city in their own space. Like these are not Bible studies or accountability groups. These are uh, groups focused completely on story and how we begin to find redemption in our stories. And so we train up our leaders there. Then from there online in between the chunks of fight weekends, which we do, we just got off one uh, just recently, we gather 12 men into a house and we do deep soul work for three days, which is like insane. I could go on forever about that. I've seen the craziest stuff I've ever seen in my whole life. I've seen miracles all over the planet is India, like, uh, Brazil, like we, Africa, we could talk about all that stuff. The craziest stuff I've seen is when a man over the course of a fight weekend goes from, Oh my God, I've never seen that before where their heart becomes open for the first time. That is the most incredible thing I've ever seen to watch them do that work and fight through it. And then the light bulb come on like, Oh, that's why I act that way. Oh, that's why that hurts. Dude, that you can't even, there's no miracle like that. No miracle. And um, from there, we're actually going to be doing our first uh, fight weekend, fight uh, one flesh weekend this summer. So we do a lot of those big event type stuff and, um, or they're sort of midsize, like those ones that are 12 people, six couples, that sort of stuff in between online. We have courage course and man talk Monday courage course is sort of the, the, what does the Bible say about manhood and masculinity? We do about 16 days or usually about two weeks, 14 days. And we do it just boom, boom, all pre-recorded. We have a private Facebook group so we can discuss it because I want it to be interactive. But then that leads to man talk Mondays, which is eight weeks every Monday where we're getting into the deep waters. We're talking about shadow work, grief work, heart, soul story. What does this mean to walk this out in my life? Not just what are the Bible verses that approve of it or disapprove of it, but how do I actually begin to walk this out in my everyday? That's what man talk Monday allows them to do. And we only do that with like 16 guys and we have our four leaders and that is it. So we keep everything super small and super intentional, but those are some of the online and in-person opportunities that you can find out about. 
Yeah, and you need to you need to do. There's something great about corporate or, or worship, seventeen thousand yeah. people, or even a big church. But you really need it intimate, right, to make those really right. good connections. And and there's lots of people who do the big stuff. So I I don't need. I always look at it like it. Are you doing in your life what no one else could do? And if I'm not. Like, what do I uniquely bring to these spaces? Yeah, I can lead a stadium for sure. Done done handfuls of them, right? Dozens at this point, arenas and stadiums. But there are so many people who could do that well. What I can do is let that go for 12 guys who I can actually watch their lives and their marriages and their kids' lives change and build a generational inheritance that cannot be stolen. That I uniquely bring, and I'd rather do that. Wow, that says a lot, bro. Um, okay, man, can we? Um, I know, I know you're pressed for for time today, so but I want to ask you about um the documentary Holy Ghost, which is when I first uh, saw who you were, and that's back in 2014. So, how did you get connected with Darren Wilson? And can you just talk about how that all came about, real quick? Yeah, I mean, the short version is Darren hit me up to do a song on uh, his Father of Lights thing. And he told me the movie was about grace <laughs> and through an email. And um, he's like, I'd really like to like have you do a song for this album for Father of Lights. And the movie's about grace and blah, blah. And I immediately email him back because he was kind of a big deal at that point. We, we had already seen, you know, Furious Love, Finger of God. And so in our world, he's kind of a big deal. Yeah. But I was like, there's a there was a real message of cheap grace that was disconnected from holiness and disconnected from reality. I felt that was going around. And so I immediately email him back and I'm like, Hey man, that sounds nice, but what do you actually believe about grace and about the father's love so that I understand context? Cause I feel like there's a bunch of funny things going around, blah, blah, blah. And he emails me back and he goes, you are the only person who asked me about that. Most people just wanted to know what the royalty cut was. And so <laughs> that sort of like sparked a friendship where he's like, I like you. And I was like, I like you. And then we just kind of started spending time together. And that led to like a friendship. Um, then when, uh, after father of lights and we did, uh, then, then when Holy ghost came out, he asked me to write a song that was the theme song for the, like that was the, basically the, 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 uh, song for the movie. And so we did that with Holy ghost. And then, um, he asked me to come to this trip to India. And I told him no at first, like I default to no, like, like now nah, we're good. Like, well, you're a man. I don't need it. It's great. <laughs> and, um, I was doing a conference where he was supposed to come and he was going to be one of the speakers. And he wanted to talk to me about India. Cause I'd already been like, ah, I'm not sure. I haven't heard from the Lord. And I really don't feel like I should put my life on the line unless I really hear from the Lord. So me and my wife went to this conference. Darren's going to meet us there. Me and my wife are both going, yeah, India is probably not going to happen. Heidi Baker, who's like a mom to us as well. If Chris is like a dad, Heidi Baker has been like a mom, like, you know, insane love. And, um, so we get on stage, I lead worship, Heidi gets up, starts doing some Heidi stuff, praying for everybody. Everyone's laying everywhere and she's just weeping and talking about the love of God. And she's like, you know, laying down. And then in the middle of all that, she goes, she goes, that thing in the pit of your stomach that says you're not supposed to go to India. She knew nothing. It, the Lord says, you're going to India. You're uh, going to India. You're going to India. <laughs> and I was like, I look at my wife and she goes, I guess you're going to India. I was like, gosh, dang. I thought I was out. Like, <laughs> and so that was like, okay, I'm going to India. And from there, there spirals a crazy story of prayer meetings, prophetic words, and a literal natural flood, the likes of which hadn't hit India in decades. And it flooded Varanasi and wiped out some of their oldest relics, some of their oldest idols and some of their oldest relics. So when we show up, the city itself is sort of in this reeling from loss that the river itself that which is supposed to be the hair of Shiva, like this life-giving thing had stolen so much of what was there. And so I'm sitting on those steps leading worship. And I will say this as we like, you know, you know, wrap up thoughts about this, but I will say that I learned a lot about evangelism there. 
And the thing I learned the most is it is insensitive and unkind to roll into environments and cultures that you've never been a part of and tell them that everything they've ever believed is wrong, that their families are wrong, that they're, um, that are, they're essentially dumb for believing anything else, but Jesus, it's not loving. It's not kind. It's not merciful. Jesus does not do that to any person in scripture. He doesn't roll up and destroy their entire thought system in the name of his salvation. He loves them radically. Look at the woman in the well, look at the woman at the well or the woman caught in the act of adultery. She is clearly deserves to be stoned based on law. And he just, he doesn't even say, and I'm the Messiah. You should follow me. He doesn't say, go to the synagogue and get clean. He doesn't say, I've got a really great small group. You should be a part of. You're probably going to need therapy. You're going to need some counseling. You're going to need, he literally just says, walks up to her and says in her nakedness says, yeah, that, that didn't go well. And she's like, yeah, he goes, you're good. Let's not do that again. Yeah. That's his big message. His big message of redemption and salvation to a woman whose life is clearly messed up is, I don't condemn you. I yeah. don't condemn you. That's and the- that mercy, like when I was going through the streets and it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of lifestyle. And I'm, and I'm like, the expectation is for me to go kick down idols. Like I ain't filming that. Like I'm going to love on some people and that led to a greater favor than we could have ever gotten. If I just ran through the streets yelling, Jesus. And, and which is what you emulated walking through the streets, there, playing guitar up into those steps where you were sitting with all those people, just letting his love flow. Eh? Right. Because really the high priest, seventh generation high priest was like, where he hit me on the chest. Where does the power come from? Yeah. Where does the power come from? So now you've invited me into the conversation. So now I will give you an answer to what you just asked me. And his, his impact of connection was so deep. He said, come to my temple and sing that freedom song. He invited me into the, the, the temple of Shiva on the Ganges river, which for Western thinkers, they're like, I don't know what that means. It is the highest holy place to their highest, holiest God on the highest, holiest city in the highest, holiest month of the year on the highest and holiest uh, landmark, the hair of Shiva in their entire culture. Come sing freedom there. Yeah. And it's like, now that I can do. Because I know the source. Yeah. So when I know the source, I embody the image everywhere I go. If your life, I have watched this play out two ways. One, I embody it to such a degree. I've watched other people embody it to such a degree that people start asking questions. Now there's an entry point. Yes. I watch it the other way, which is, I'm going to go talk to this random stranger because I know that I have to do it. Cool. That's one way. It honestly lacks connection and depth because the person didn't invite you. When it's Jesus never comes uninvited. Uninvited intimacy is called rape. Just so we're all clear on what that looks like. Uninvited intimacy is rape. So when I come and tell you about the deepest secrets of what's happening in your life without a cost, without the cost of connection, I can actually do more damage than I can do help. Now, does that mean we shouldn't go when we feel led? Absolutely. We're all figuring this out. So when you feel a leading from what you believe is God, go and try it on for size. Just do it with humility. Do it with tenderness. Do it with weeping in your heart, not the expectation of another testimony. If I'm going into it with the expectation of another testimony, that is massively my ego. That is not the kindness and mercy of God. Even if the message is correct, I'm trying to build my kingdom, not his. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't ever even test that. We just teach people to go do it because that's what we think we're supposed to do. And I'm like, I don't think that's evangelism. That sounds like manipulation to me. Yeah. There's some very wise words right there. Thanks. 
Jake, thanks for thanks for sharing your story and your heart with us today. Really appreciate that. Um, folks, if you haven't seen Holy Ghost, man, I recommend you see that. Father of Lights, uh, Finger of God, all of those. I saw Holy Ghost first, Jake, and then I saw the rest of them, and yeah. all of those movies just wrecked me. They're so good. I, I own them all. Love it. <laughs> Highly recommend. There's a new one coming. Oh. It's coming soon. Let's go. <laughs> um, I have one final question for you, but before that, friends, um, jakehamiltonmusic.com, huge library of music in there, great worship music, all different kinds of styles for you. My personal favorite, Loud bluesy love it mine too um also jake is on the instagram at uh, jake h music and he's also on facebook simply jake hamilton so follow along check it out um a lot of stuff going on there uh, my final question for you jake um in your bio at the end it talks about your goal was that you want to spend your life throwing keys into prison cells yeah and just i mean that that says enough but just sort of sum that up reword that or where your heart was in that bro yeah i mean my entire heart is like i want you to believe that there's a greater degree of freedom than you've ever experienced in your whole life because he actually is that good like that is the core like if i can reveal his goodness and his mercy and his tenderness to you in spaces you thought were dark and dead then you'll begin to you'll begin to search for things you never started you never thought you could even search for or pursue which that to me is the ultimate test of whether a life is is worth it right like you're never going to arrive like you're just not that's not the way this works so i'm going to be a seeker forever but when i throw a key into a prison cell and they unlock that door the journey's now theirs i'm not going to hold their hand i'm not coming to walk you down a path i'm here to just give you a key and if that key unlocks the door to your cell you now have the ability to start making decisions for yourself that are he- healthier than the than the decisions that got you put in that prison cell. Wow. Thanks so much, man. Again, thanks for sharing your heart and your story, bro. Really appreciate it and really appreciate what you're doing from the 17,000 in a stadium to what you're doing for marriages and individual men. Come on. Bless you, bro. Thank you so much, man. Bless you. God willing, someday I'll jam with you, bud. Heck yeah, come on. Thanks, bro. Thank you. That's some real wise messages about evangelism, friends. An invitation. An invitation from the person and allowing God to move through you. We know that he softens the heart to hear the word. And we just want to be an instrument to share the freedom that we've encountered that we know. I encourage you to check out all that uh, Jake is doing. And most of all, stop hiding your hurt, open it up, and get set free by the one who came to free you. (laughs) 